You folks see that flashing sign up there? Now that sign says applesauce. No, no, I, I'm kidding. It says applause. Ray, do me a favor. Could you flick that once? All right. Now remember, you're all you're all a big part of the show. So the better you are, the better Jeff Harrell is. Okay, now you see this gentleman? Now he's giving me this uh, this sign, and it says we're on in ten seconds. So get ready to have a good time. All right, here we go. This is exciting, isn't it? Well, welcome to this very special bonus edition of the Big Ass Runner. This is technically episode number 159, and we are going to give you an update from Western States. I was there this past weekend, and I want to share with you my experience. It was amazing. I just want to let you know also that this episode is brought to you by the greatness of of Exoskin. I saw lots of Exoskin out in Auburn, California this weekend. Best toe socks there are, exoskin.com and John G. Amazing. My rain jacket, I have two of them now, rain jackets. And women's gear, unmatched, John G. Check that out as well. Go to johng.com. Well, I'm very excited to share this content with you. It was such an amazing weekend. We're going to talk about the history of the race. You may know a lot about this race, but we'll talk about the history. I'll talk about my trip heading up to California and all of the interesting things that happened. We're going to talk about how I was able to volunteer and how you should in the future as well. We'll talk about the race itself. It was quite amazing. A lot of you probably were glued to the live stream as was I for part of the day as I was also there live, so that was very interesting to see some things on the live stream and then see it happen in real life. Pretty amazing. And then there's just some final observations I want to share, just some amazing stories that happened along the way. And I was able to capture some video and some audio, so you will hear some live audio. It won't be live when you hear it, but it was taken live, I can promise you. And we will share that with you as well. Well, with that, let's get going on this very special bonus episode, the Western States Recap. Western States, such a great event. We think of it, I think, in the States as the Super Bowl of trail running, of ultra running, along with UTMB. It's probably the global Super Bowl. Those are, those are the two goats for, uh, in my opinion anyway, for ultra marathon races. And this one is so great because of the history. And many of you know about the history, but you know, it used to be a, a horse race. Let's talk a little bit about the course. So Western States, it's a technically 100.2 miles. It takes place in California's Sierra Nevada mountains. And it is the full last week of June every year. It is the oldest and perhaps one of the most competitive One's, you know, you got to get a gold ticket to get in or get in through the lottery. So it's difficult. So when people do get in, it is so 
very meaningful. It is one of five 100-mile races that comprise the Grand Slam of Ultra Running, which is also including the Old Dominion 100, the Vermont 100-mile endurance run, the Wasatch Front 100-mile endurance run in Utah, and of course, Leadville Trail 100 in Colorado. Well, the story goes that this was a, a horse race and it was completed. I didn't know this. I was doing some research. It was completed by foot back in 1972 by some soldiers from Fort Riley, Kansas, but they did it in two days. And in 1974, Gordy Ainsley, he was the first one to do it in under 24 hours. He had finished the Western States trail ride in 71 and 72 on horseback. But in 73, his new horse became lame at mile 29. And he decided to run the rest of the way in. It says it was inspiration and encouragement of Drusilla Barner, the first woman to win the Travis Cup and secretary of the Western States Trail Foundation. Gordy joined the horses of the Western States Trail Ride to see if he could complete the course on foot in under 24 hours. He did it in 23 hours and 42 minutes, arriving in Auburn, proving that you could cover it in one day. In fact, you get a different colored belt buckle if you complete it in under 24 hours. The cutoff, however, is 30. We'll talk about that in a little while. Unbelievable. So it's it's a great race, and it grew over time. In 1978, 63 runners competed, 30 finished. You had less than a 50% completion rate, if I'm doing my math correctly there. And just an amazing, amazing course. So it starts in the base of the Palisades Tahoe Ski Resort in Olympic Valley. It's a point-to-point race that finishes at Placer High School in Auburn, California. I thought it was Placer, but I found out from the locals it's Placer. And it is a quite rugged terrain. And sometimes it's hot. Sometimes it's cold. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes you have snow like they did this year. And that was a talk before the race was, this was an unseasonably cool race But with that also came snow at the beginning. And unfortunately, because of the mosquito fires that had happened in October, a portion of the course uh, affected by that fire, a lot of the tree canopy that the runners were used to, no longer there. Well, it's got a lot of history, as you all know. Scott Urich, he had seven consecutive wins that ended in 2005, actually saw Scott at the airport and he had no idea who I was. I was shocked by that. How dare he? No, he was there. I didn't, didn't fanboy him, didn't want to bother him, but he was in the airport. That was cool to see him. And Trayson also won the women's race. She is, she is a legend for sure. Not the goat anymore, I don't believe, but 14 races won by Ann Trayson. So lots of great history. Last year, Adam Peterman had won the race. He was not competing this year. He had finished in a time of 15-13. But the course record, of course, on the men's side was owned by Jim Walmsley, who did it in 
20, let's see, he set the course record actually in 2019, 14 hours, nine minutes. He also won in 2021. It was canceled in 2020. He had first won it in 2018, but he set the course record in 2019. He was not competing this year. He's over, I believe, in Europe trying to figure out the UTMB. I think he wants to win that race, which I have no doubt he will figure that out if uh, Killian (laughs) may have something to say about that. And then on the women's side, course record held by Ellie Greenwood. She set that in 2012, 16 hours, 47 minutes and 19 seconds. She's from the UK that will come in to play here in a little bit when we talk about the winners of the race. But such great history. And just to be there, you know, I had submitted my application to volunteer months ago. And when I received word that I was in, there were about 1,500 other volunteers that put on this race, as many of these awesome races, it takes a big crew to pull it off with excellence like they do every year. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But there you go, a little history of the race. This was a big year because they were saying it was the 50th anniversary. I, don't, I can't do the math very well, but what a historic event and really amazing just an amazing race. So that's the history of the race. Let's talk about my trip. I decided to, you could fly, I believe you can fly into ta- the Tahoe area at the start, but I was serving, I was volunteering at the finish. So I flew into Sacramento on Friday, of course, got in the plane in Dallas and took out of the gate on time and then sat on the runway for about an hour. That was a beating, but it was fine. Got got to Sacramento safely. Immediately felt the lack of humidity in the air when I got to Sacramento. Had rented a Turo, jumped in the Turo car, and uh, headed on a four-wheel drive, baby. Nothing but the best for the Clydesdale. And headed on into Auburn. What a cool little town Auburn is. I didn't get the population. It says... In 2010, it was at 13,000 people. Seemed a little bigger than that, but not much. Not much. And it touts itself as the endurance capital of the world, which, hey, when Western States finishes in your town, I think you can make that claim. And just some beautiful area. Just the weather was fantastic. Cool little, I ate a little sandwich deli for lunch. Fantastic. Really, really cool area. Uh, of California. And then I checked into my hotel. It was a Motel 6. And it wasn't that great, buddy. But checked in there and decided to see if I could find Forest Hill. I knew I wasn't going to be able to get out on the course or even make it all the way up to the start line because of uh, the just timing. But I wanted to see if I could find Forest Hill, such a iconic and cool aid station. And I did found little forest. It's a town, just head up 80 and then take a right and head up to forest Hill. And I'd heard there'd been the mosquito fire had hit some of that area. I didn't see any where I was on the road, but got to see where all of the aid stations are. If you watched the race, you you saw that the long road section, lots of tents and things along the way. People it's kind of like two streets next to each other, which is kind of interesting two two-way streets and it allows the runners to, to run along there and we'll talk about that was significant because of a lead change that happened in the men's side it was super cool 
but just history, you know, you just feel the history. I know some of you listening have, have run it before and the history is just amazing. And you just feel that when you're there, it was really uh, an honor to, to be there. And so that was, that was Friday, got some dinner, wanted to get some good sleep, needed to get my training run in on, uh, on Saturday morning. Uh, in between, of course, 5 a.m. was the start in Olympic Valley, and I was on the live stream, as many of you probably were as well, 5 a.m. Pacific time to watch the start of the race. And we'll talk about the race here in a second. And then I got my run in. I went to a park in the, the Auburn area. It was awesome. The weather was amazing. Got my training run in, and it was great. Just a great trip. I was. Uh, we'll talk more about it at the end, but... If you're considering doing something like this, you want to volunteer a destination trip somewhere, don't think you can actually get into the race. You can still be part of it. You can serve at an aid station. You can serve. I'll talk a little bit about where I was serving at the finish line, but it's just such a a great experience. I highly, highly recommend it. So I was serving in my official serving time wasn't until Sunday morning at 5 a.m. So I emailed Casey, who was my amazing contact there at Western States, Casey Green, said, hey, I'm going to be there Saturday. Put me to work. And she said, great, show up. We'll put you to work. And that's what I did. So I'm going to play a little bit of audio. This is me getting there. So just to describe a little bit, Auburn, little town, Placer High School, nestled in towards, I don't know if it's the middle of town. It feels like it. And so you got to find a little parking. You walk in. And it's almost like I'm so used to big events and needing ID and passes. You just just walk in. Just get on the field. Doesn't matter. Walk along the track. There's there's really no nobody telling you not to get off that or stay away from there. You just you just go. You can just enjoy it. It's what I love about trail running is it's not it's formal corporate thing, although obviously a lot of corporate sponsors, which helps with a lot of expenses and things, but just hopped right on the field, made my way along. And in my, I was supposed to report at the cafe. There's actually a cafe next to the field. And I'll talk a little bit about that here in a second. But here's a little audio for my first impressions getting onto the field at Western States. So I'm here in Auburn, California. It is warm. It's, uh, let's see what time it is. 4.36 on Saturday, which means the Lead runners will be coming in in about a little less than three hours. And so we're going to get everything ready. Uh, A little bit of activity, not a lot. I'm sure that'll change here in a little bit. But excited to be at the Western States finish line. Yeah, to set the scene a little bit, you got the cafe off like outside one of the end zones on the other side, not inside the track, just outside the track, which is a perfect spot actually to see the runners come around the last turn before they head to the finish line. And you got the stands on one side, bigger stands on one side, smaller stands on the other. And then the opposite side of the field is where the runners come in off the streets in town onto the track and make that almost full loop around to the finish line, about three quarter loop around to the finish line. There were tents going up, Hoka, big sponsor, fleet feet, providing all the gear I bought, hoodie and a shirt and probably would have bought more had I spent more time over there but 
really cool, lots of activity. The cafe was really cool. So it's a, it's a permanent structure and tons of volunteers back there. Local running club was manning that area. They were in charge of that area. So they, I was told to show up there to let them know I was there to help. And they do this really cool thing that if you're on the field, you can just go over there and get some food. It's got a, like a little buffet line with hamburgers and chips and queso. It was interesting. They had salad. And then next to the salad, I thought, why is there queso next to the salad? Well, it was salad dressing that looked like queso. And I wasn't the only one that thought that because several people, oh, they had quesadillas, were pouring it on quesadillas before we could catch them. Tell, oh, no, that's not, not queso. We needed a sign that said not queso. But I thought that was kind of funny drinks but you just if you want to give a donation to the foundation you can but not required and so they just they feed everybody that shows up it's another reason to show up a lot of people donated you could do venmo and drop in cash that was really cool but i got to serve in the line i was just helping get people get drinks and chips and all kinds of things and having served at chapas that's one of the things i just love to do is just joke with people, have fun, encourage. These weren't runners. These were really support teams and parents and other workers there that were doing different things around the stadium and people showing up to see the finishers come in. Just a lot of activity, a lot of fun. And I got to do that. I got to meet some great people. Miss Sunshine, I can't remember her first name, but she was awesome. She was the kind of the leader of that area. And then I got to serve alongside Laura. Laura was awesome. She was just there to volunteer. She is a PhD student at UC Davis. She's smart. Like she's super smart. And met Steven. Steven's from Reno. Spent some time in Portland. He was super cool. We all traded telephone numbers. Gave Laura a big hug when I left. I like I feel like I know you so well. Just serving along somebody. Some so much fun. Just met a lot, a lot of great people there at the cafe and did that for a long time. And I I told everybody that I was serving with, I said, once the winners, we start hearing the winners come in and we'll talk about the race here in a second. Then I'm going to jump out and get some video, get some audio. Uh, And that's what we did. But here's a little more audio from my experience on the field. I'm here at the uh, cafe on the track here at Western States. And our winner will be here. Any minute, there's excitement. You hear the excitement in the air. The announcer is cranked up. There is 14 hours, 23 minutes, and 24 seconds into the race. We are expecting the winner here any minute. Yeah, a lot of excitement. A lot. Of, you can hear the energy starting to build as word of the runners were, hey, they're this far away or this far away, and anticipation, nervousness. And then when you see someone actually climb onto the field and make that last loop, it's really cool. We'll talk about the race winners here in a second, but I do want to play one final piece of audio before we get to the race, because you get to hear a little bit of the chaos that's happening and the excitement and people are trying to get interviewed and then there's other racers coming in. So here's a little bit of what that sounded like. you were here in 2019 things were going really really good like actually the exact same splits you ran for much of the day and then you got faster today but you know things went awry you had to pull the plug on it unfortunately what does it mean to be back here in 2021 
Yes, during the interview of one of the finishers, to remain unnamed at this moment, you got to hear one of the other finishers. That was actually Matthew Blanchard from France, who I, by the way, got to meet and serve a fine lime-flavored sparkling water in the Cafe Lime later. He was super, super nice guy and was definitely French. Had a cool French accent. He was super, super great. So there you go. That was what the experience was like. And next we're going to talk about the race itself, the field, the expected winners, who was the favorites, and all of that next. Well, even though... Jim Walmsley was not in the field. It felt like a pretty wide open and stacked men's field for this race. And in fact, depending on who you listen to, there was no clear cut favorite like there was in the women's side. We'll talk about the women's side here in a second. But Hayden Hawks was one that I think could heard the most in terms of favorites. Tyler Green, uh, Anthony Castales, who had won the Black Canyon uh, in second in that race was Tom Evans. And so he was considered a favorite as well. He had a couple of Chinese runners who we'd heard a lot about. Uh, I'm hopefully pronounce this right, but I think it's Zhe Zhu Zhou and Zhe Shen Shen. They were both in there and we'll talk a little bit about that because they both came into play during this race quite a bit. Jeffrey Colt, who I was personally rooting for because he had won Bandera and I got to meet his dad, Rick Colt, who was awesome. Cole Watson was another favorite. I mentioned Matthew Blanchard. He of the French runner who was thought to be a contender as well. Rod Favard. We had Arlen Glick was certainly in the field. Dakota Jones, JP Giblin, who had come in second at Bandera. So had a lot of really strong, strong runners. And depending on who you listen to, there was no clear-cut favorite. In fact, the little text, we have a text thread, the fellas, uh, we, we uh, those of us that run together, I ask, hey, make your prediction. And if they win, I'll tell them that you predicted that they would win and it will make their day. I was kind of joking that someone that just won Western States would have their day made by one of us jokers picking them to win. But I picked Arlen Glick. I thought after his, I think he was in third last year, I thought he was on the way up and would, would have a good performance. But it's just such a hard race. It's You never know. Someone have a great day. Someone have a bad day. You just never, never know. Steven didn't pick, I don't believe. But Timmy Time picked Steven, Pritt to finish. And uh, had Steven been in the race, I'm sure that would probably have come true. But my buddy Henry picked Tyler Green. 
And then our buddy Richard, who's now up in Boise, had picked Hayden Hawks. And then if you listen to the different previews and podcasts, there were a lot of different people picked on the men's side. So no clear cut favorite. Women's side equally stacked. However, there's always at the top of the list, Courtney Dewalter. And all of us said, how can you not pick Courtney for this race? So you had Courtney Dewalter. You had Katie Scheid, who had just who had won UTMB, thought to be probably a, a good contender. Uh, Keely Henninger, Nicole Bitter, Heather Jackson, Taylor Nolan, Camille Heron. You just had a lot, a lot of strong women. You know, you probably thought, well, you know, after Courtney, you know, if, if for some reason she has a, a bad day or stomach goes south or an injury, who who might come in right behind there and, t- and take that first place? And there were a lot of contenders. Of course, Katie Licktig, who's a favorite of mine because I, I passed her at Bandera one year and she was super nice. She was in the field as well. In fact, I believe this was her ninth in a row. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. So we all picked Courtney to win. And I think that was a very safe choice as well here, here in a second. So back to the race, a lot of us were watching the live stream and we saw the start and you kind of start to see a lead pack and Jeju Zhou went out really fast. One of the Chinese runners, you know, that had the snow there at, uh, in the Tahoe area. So there's a lot of snow to cover. It caused some problems for some runners and others handled it a lot better, but you had that lead pack and, and Jeju Zhou was out in front and he was moving and he actually started to separate a little bit. But I think most of us who have witnessed this race before thought that's probably going to come back to, to get him. We'll find out. Then there was a kind of a chase pack, so to speak with Hayden Hawks Tom Evans, I don't think I mentioned Tom Evans from the UK. He was obviously a big a big contender as well. Tyler Green, Anthony Castales, and also Jay Xing Chin, the other Chinese runner thought to be a favorite. They're all kind of that second pack, as well as Dakota Jones, and I believe Daniel Jones as well. There's two Joneses. So a lot of strong runners right there at the beginning, right there at the front. Arlen Glick was up there as well. And you started to see over time people start to catch up to, uh, to Jeju Zhou and passed him. And <laughs> he started to drop a little bit. In fact, unfortunately, I think he ended up DNFing, probably learned a lot, went out a little bit too, not a little bit, probably went out a lot too, too heavy, too strong, too fast, too early. Well, as the race progressed on the men's side, we'll get to the women's side here in a second, but as the race, race progressed, you started to see two runners at the top and that was Dakota Jones and Tom Evans. And if you were following the tracker, you know, there's a lot of times where there's no coverage because you can't get coverage out there. The drones out there, such a, you know, obviously rugged area. But if you look at the splits, looked at the times, it was looked like a Tom Evans, Dakota Jones back and forth. They started to separate themselves a little bit from the rest of the pack uh, those two through whatever pretty bunched up. Uh, Tyler Green was in there. Arlen Glick was in there for a while. Anthony Casales, Jeffrey Colt was moving up. A lot of activity, but there's two runners that really look like, unless things really start to go, so it's a long race, certainly. 
but they were looking strong. They were working together. And you actually heard later that Tom was stronger on the uphill, so he would lead. Dakota Jones was stronger on the downhill, so he would lead. So they kind of had this nice back and forth, really working well together. In fact, at one point, they were supposed to add their pacers, and they decided not to because they were working so well together and felt it would be a distraction. So they started to separate, and they were doing really well. And you get to Forest Hill, and that's mile 62-ish, and that tends to be a place where some separation can start to happen because you hit the road there for a little bit before you duck back into the trail system. And Dakota came in and Tom came in and Dakota left first. And I don't know if this is true. I, I It was reported a couple of times, so I think it had to be true. But he told his crew, hey, this now's the time I'm going to break Tom. Now, Tom Evans, he's from the U.K., and uh, has done really well. He hasn't been running a whole. I mean, he's he's fairly new. I kind of discovered trail running on a on a bar bet. Was one of the stories that was told. But you know, not not a ton of experience. I think rel- not unknown certainly, but you know, not one of the names that rolls right off your tongue when you're talking about the elites of the elites uh, in in trail running. But uh, but he was he was there and and so that that was the word was hey Dakota said he's he's going to take over and he's going to break Tom here and Dakota being from Salt Lake City Utah runner off he went and beat Tom out of the aid station so you're thinking well maybe maybe this is the time he's making his move and we're going to get uh, a little bit of a different situation at the top going to have a, a runner separate themselves and it's going to be Dakota. But what ended up happening was actually the opposite. Tom took the lead and started to distance himself. In fact, he, I think over an eight mile span had a 10 minute lead, which, you know, for a lot of us, it was like, Oh, that's, that doesn't sound like in this kind of a raise, man, in that short of time to these guys are so fast to get a 10 minute lead was pretty amazing. And so you, you thought, well, maybe he went out really hard after Forest Hill and, and it's going to flame out and, and we're going to see Dakota take over. It never happened. Tom took the lead and never looked back. In fact, in the interview after the race, he said at one point he had looked down right after Forest Hill and he had done a five and a half minute mile. Incredible. <laughs> 60 something mile of a race and you're running five. I'm sure that was on the road section or downhill, but man, absolutely murdered it. He decided, you hear him interviewed afterwards, pedal to the metal, I'm going for it. He felt he had been too conservative in previous races. Said it was always either bridesmaid or third third place, and so he wanted to go for it, and that's what it takes to win Western States. You got to go for it and hope that it holds together, and it held together for him. He came through, and we heard, "Hey, Tom, Tom still got the lead." I was over the cafe serving up potato chips and queso. Not it wasn't queso; that was salad dressing to uh, to folks and. Heard some excitement, heard that he was six miles away, two miles away, one mile away, and here he comes through with his crew, his pacers, crossing the track. It was super, super cool, 
And here's a little audio of that happening. incredible stuff tom finished obviously a little off the course record but still tremendous time considering the snow at the beginning and tyler green came in second anthony castellas third Xing chin the chinese runner fourth which is a really awesome showing as i mentioned the the leader had fallen out and actually dnf'd but Xing chin had finished fourth place daniel jones in fifth Matthew Blanchard in sixth. Ryan Montgomery, got to see him at uh, Bandera. He was seventh. Jeff Colt, also at Bandera, eighth. Cole Watson, ninth. And your top ten, Janish Kowalsik in tenth place. So that's the men's field. On the women's side, a little bit of drama, but not a lot. Pretty early on, there were two ladies at the front, probably what you might expect. And I think Courtney doesn't bolt to the front at the beginning. Normally she's, she's up there near the front, but pretty quickly she tends to take over and Courtney and Katie Shide were pretty close together. They separated themselves from the rest of the field pretty early. And it became one of those things like, can Katie hang on? And she hung on for quite a while. But we're talking Courtney Dewalter here. As I mentioned before, the course record was Ellie Greenwood in 2012 of 16 hours, 47 minutes, 19 seconds, was probably going to get broken by the great Courtney Dewalter. Like I said, Katie hung in there for quite a while, but dropped off, and rightfully so, because Courtney... Finished at 15.29, breaking the course record by 78 minutes. And that's unbelievable. That's almost like 45 seconds a mile faster. (laughs) Unreal. And Katie would have broken the course record as well. She did an amazing job coming in second. Let me get her time officially at 16.43. 
So she would have beaten it as well. So Courtney, first place. Katie Scheid, Esther Sillig came in third. Katie Osmus, fourth. Emily Hoggood, fifth. Taylor Nolan, sixth. Ida Nilsson, seventh. Priscilla Forgey, eighth. Leah Yingling, ninth. And tenth was 25-year-old Meg Morgan, who is, I think, poised to do really well in this race. She just wanted to get a top 10 to come back and have a great experience, and she did just that. A couple notable drops on the women's side. Nicole Bitter had to drop. Camille Heron had to drop. And one of the favorites, and actually one of the front runners for most of the day, Keeley Henninger had to drop as well, and Heather Jackson also. So really competitive field, unbelievable race. I know many of you probably followed along. Courtney is absolutely the GOAT. Just incredible performance. That was her about to be interviewed earlier in the episode when Matthew Blanchard came in and they had to uh, to pause for a second, rightfully so as well. But she is such a gracious winner and I, I can't imagine not wanting to root for her. Just so awesome. And I'll, I'll talk about getting to meet her here in a second in my observations here at the end. But that's the, that was the race. Unbelievable. One for the ages, a course record set. Great field on both sides and just a lot of fun. So there you go. Western States 2023. Now let's talk observations. A couple of observations. One is, again, I mentioned this at the beginning, the history, the well, the well-oiled machine that puts this on. Not overly so, though. There's not like this formal thing, like you got to get permission from people. You just kind of jump in and help and do. But it is such a great experience. I would highly, highly recommend volunteering. You can go to their website and fill out an application to be a volunteer and do that. I would say make it a destination. Bring, Bring the significant other. Make a little trip of it. Just a lot of fun. That was amazing. The hospitality, you know, we served people all day Saturday, most of the day Sunday. The buffet was open. They had dinner. They had breakfast. Like I said, pretty much free. A donation was encouraged, not required. And just the hospitality there was super special. The people, just amazing. All the volunteers I interacted with, all the people, race officials, people coming through the line, probably these are folks that had finished the race in years before didn't even know who they were but they were amazing and everything everybody was so awesome but the big observation the big thing that i would took away from this is how absolutely special golden hour is you've heard about it perhaps if you have not golden hour is the hour before the cutoff so they start at 5 a.m on saturday morning And the last hour is 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. 11 a.m. on Sunday is the cutoff. And between that 10 and 11, and the announcer makes a big deal about it. He's like, now we are now entering. I wish I'd gotten audio of that. But people show up just for that hour. There's the most people in the stadium that there is at any point in time. And there are most runners, I think, that finish in any one hour. I think it's that hour. So here's a little bit of what that sounded like. So we are here at Western States. It is in the golden hour, the hour before the cutoff. 
There are tons of runners coming in. The crowd is going bonkers. This is amazing. If you ne- ever get the opportunity to come down to Auburn, California, on the weekend of Western States, you can walk right on in. You can meet Courtney DeWalter like I did today. You can cheer on these runners. It is fantastic. 14 minutes until the cutoff here at Western States. It's such a special time because you get a lot of people chasing the cutoff. They're just trying to stay ahead of the cutoff. And so for that hour, there is one after another. And I stood on the track and just cheered people on. It was one of the most fun I think I've had outside of the Chapasade station. And that's where I got to meet Courtney. So it was one of those situations where you see her, she, she's coming in for the award ceremony. She got there way early just to cheer people on. That's just the person she was. And a lot of people coming up to her. She's very gracious, pictures, whatever, smile on her face, the whole thing. And I'm like, man, this is my chance. I should go up. And then I thought, oh, I don't want to be that person, you know, to bug her. She's, but I think she enjoys it. I think she loves interacting with the fans. And I thought I'm not probably ever going to be in this spot to get this opportunity to meet her again. So I took a risk, went up and actually had met her crew chief at Bandera. So I think she remembered us. I don't know. She, they were at Chapas for uh, quite a bit of time. And she said, I'm sure Courtney would love to meet you, get a picture. And got that opportunity. And you guys saw the photos. If you follow the Instagram, just so nice, so sweet. I just thanked her for all that she does for the running community. She did the, she did the same for the big ass runner. She says hello, big ass runner herd. She did a cameo for us, uh, gosh, a year and a half ago or so. But just so gracious. She was great. That's where I got to meet her. Was and she was there cheering other runners on. And you should have seen some of these runners. They're finishing. They're so excited. Their family's with them. And then they look over. They see Courtney Dewalter cheering them on. And then the, <laughs> the looks on the faces was priceless. But there's two stories that you you may know about, but I want to share with you. So as the golden hour goes on, you get closer and closer to that 11 o'clock cutoff. You you know, 15 minutes, 10 minutes left, five minutes left with about two minutes left. And he he says things like the announcer, hey, if you can hear my voice, (laughs) you probably want to start running right now. It's like there's seven runners still out in town that maybe can make it there's excitement you know there's going to probably be some heartbreak it's just quite amazing and about with two minutes to spare and you gotta remember they enter the stadium and then they've got to run pretty much three quarters of a a track so a track of course being 400 meters they got to run probably another 300 meters to get to the finish and you start to hear some excitement. Here comes somebody. There's only a couple minutes left. It's Jennifer St. Amand from Dexter, Minnesota, which I used to go to Dexter for business. Know right where Dexter is. 48 years old. She hops on the track. Her crew's with her. Here's what that sounded like. We've got a lady about to finish with literally one minute to go. 30 seconds, she's gonna do it! 40 seconds! She's gonna do it! 
20 seconds to spare. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That is Western States. Well, I thought at the moment that was the most unbelievable thing I would see, and it was very unbelievable because as she came in, the crowds peeled away towards the finish line, so everyone's bunched up around the finish to watch her finish. And then 30 hours, you know, she finished with 20 seconds left. Can you imagine that? A 30-hour race, you finished with 20 seconds left. But no, the story was not completely written because about that time when he said, that's the cutoff, you started to hear some commotion where the runners enter the track and here comes another runner. Cutoff had already happened, but he's on the track and he's going to, by goodness, he's going to finish. It was unbelievable. Here's the audio. So Lucy Bartholomew's dad is running. He's going to miss the cutoff, but he's finishing anyway. He missed it by a minute. But you can hear the crowd. Lucy's with her dad running this last lap with Sally McRae as well. You can hear the crowd cheering. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It was both heartbreaking to see, especially to see Lucy just bawling for her dad to have just missed it. Come two minutes, I think officially it was two minutes and 20 seconds away from finish, finishing. He did finish, but from the cutoff. So from that perspective, it was heartbreaking, but how inspirational. And her, her dad's name is Ash, and he was not upset. He was smiling. Hugging people, people were hugging Lucy. It was quite the scene, very emotional. You could almost, I think you could probably hear it in my voice uh, on that recording. It was amazing to watch. Those are the, those are the moments. Those are the stories that make trail running and ultra running so different, in my opinion, from every other sport. It's why we love it so much. It's why we fly out to California just to volunteer, just to be part of it. It's why we travel down to Bandera, stay up through the night to serve runners. It's the community. It's the story. It's going after big, audacious goals, like 100 miles. And sometimes you succeed, and sometimes you don't hit what you thought you would. But in my opinion, is still a win. Ash won that day. He didn't get a belt buckle, but he got so much more than that. What an amazing experience. Highly, highly recommend Western States. It's the last week of June every year. Make a point to go out there and be a part of it if you haven't already. Well, I hope you enjoyed that recap couple of big thanks. I just want to thank the running group that hosted me out at Western States. Casey Green is part of the Western States team and she's a volunteer coordinator for the area I was in. She was amazing. Miss Sunshine was amazing. I mentioned Laura and Steven that I got to meet. Oh, by the way, I also got to meet one of my athletes that I coach, Kara. She was, she's in the, uh, about an hour away from, 
from uh, Auburn, but her, she was running with some folks there close to town and came by the infield for golden hour, got to meet her and spend some time. So much fun. Um, yeah. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you enjoyed the audio. It was uh, just an honor for me to represent the big ass runner out there. I actually met, Oh, I met Caitlin. She was there on Sunday serving beside me and she was like, Hey, you look familiar. I said, yeah, I'm Jeff. He goes, are you a big ass runner? So it was so fun to see a listener out there as well. So it was an honor to represent all of you. And man, hope you enjoyed that recap. It was one of the best experiences for me. Hope you get that opportunity to do that as well. Well, there you go. The 2023 Western States bonus episode of the Big Ass Runner. <laughs>